Well, I, I really have enjoyed uh, this set of lessons on the Word and on the table, and I, more than any other sermon we've preached, I hope this continues to work itself into the practice of our family, of our, our spiritual family here as we continue to go deeper into the meaning of this perpetual ordinance, to use the words of Exodus 12. If you didn't catch the lesson this morning, we recorded it. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's today's lesson, and I, I go into some of the background between Passover and the Lord's Supper, and I would encourage you to go back and take a look at that, because I'm, I can't help but have some of that influence what we're going to say today, and vice versa, some of that anticipated what we're going to say here. You know, it really is, it's a, it's a blessed thing, it's a special thing, it's a unique thing when the Christian family gathers around the table of the Lord. This is a very important moment on the Lord's day that we come to the Lord's table, that we are shaped by the Lord who is the Word that was from the beginning. And so, I hope we never take it for granted, and I hope we learn to appreciate it. The last two years or so, made us wake up to the reality of how important this is. But it takes a little action on our part to continue to grow in that. And then as soon as we start to get a hold of it, guess what? A new generation of people come up and they've never been taught this. And so we have to teach and share this with them as well. Thank God that our Lord gave us a table to gather around where these things can be taught. So, we're going to close out with life around the table. And we're going to look, and, and I don't know if you, some of you may not have ever known this, but there is more Scripture in Acts chapter 2 after the 38th verse. Yeah, it doesn't just end with Acts 2.38. It keeps going a little while. We baptize all those people, and guess what? There's something to be done with them. I mean, you've got to do something when you have 2,400% growth on the day of Pentecost. Do the math. They go from 120 to 3,120. And that growth, that you've got to do something with all this, and Luke gives us a little summary statement of what happens. So, um, in Luke chapter 2, here's the word of the Lord. Those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. And they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, You've either got four things going on, or you've really got two things going on in that summary statement. These believers in Jesus, this, this early church, this day-old congregation on the day of Pentecost, 
From that point on, they devote themselves. Now, do they devote themselves to doing four things? Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers? Or do they really devote themselves to two things? The apostles' teaching and fellowship. And fellowship then is broken down into two things, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Well, my cards are on the table because you can see in the slide that I'm pretty much thinking they did two things and that second thing is described a little more clearly. Now, I'm not asking you to agree with me on this. If you want to say it's four things, that's fine. That's fine. But there's a reason to believe that it might really be two things. And, And by the way, when Jesus comes back, this won't be on the test. So don't worry. But I do think it opens up some understanding to what's going on. Now I can show you grammatically that there's two ands. You see them on the screen here. There's not three ands. What I mean is, it's not the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and the prayers. That would be three ands. But there's really just two. Sometimes grammar is all we got. The apostles' teaching and fellowship. Pause the breaking of bread, and prayers. In other words, what we may have here is the Word and the table. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul describes the table as a fellowship, as a koinonia. And that's the same word that's used here in Acts chapter 2, that koinonia. And what they did in their koinonia is they ate together. And the words that are being used are the breaking of bread, just like the words that are used in Luke's Gospel for the breaking of bread. And as for the prayers, if you go back to that class that I mentioned, we realize that from Jewish tradition, the cups at the Passover were connected to certain prayers. Now, now, this is speculative, okay? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting a lot of weight on this one, but what if the breaking of bread and the prayers is Luke's way in Acts chapter 2 of saying the breaking of bread and the prayers that are shared when they drink the fruit of the vine? Hey, I'm just saying maybe, okay? Something to think about. Anyway, you begin to see And here's the important part, is that they are devoted. There is a daily devotion. The verb, the power word there is, those new disciples devoted themselves. It's a way of saying they threw themselves into something. They attached themselves to something. And this is where we get that that verse that leads to that joke about what automobile Do Christians drive? Why, it's a Honda Accord because we read that they were all in one accord. It's a rotten joke. Terrible joke. But that idea of one accord means that they had a singular purpose, a singular desire. They had the same purpose. They were on mission. And they would go to the temple. They would devote themselves to that, to being in the temple. And that would be the natural place for the apostles to teach, like they did on the day of Pentecost, the meaning of Jesus Christ and who He was. 
You read Peter's sermon in Acts 2, and that is the basic sermon that is preached over and over again. Only when Paul and Barnabas and Silas and some of the others go into Gentile territory, and they have to talk to a people who don't have the temple background, does the message change a bit. But it's still the same message that Jesus Christ is Lord, and He is Savior, and that we should come to Him and be rescued by Him. Okay, they devote themselves to that teaching, which we'll call the Apostles' teaching, because it's the same message that they were preaching. But they also devote themselves to breaking of bread in homes. Well, it makes sense that you would break bread in homes. You don't break bread in the temple. That's not what the temple's for. <clears throat> now, again, there, there's, there's, sometimes there's a little bit of debate. Does this mean that they're just having, you know, potlucks, hospitality meals? Is that, that's not the Lord's Supper, is it? Well, why do we have to choose? Why can't it be both? I mean, we're not talking about a ritual with magic bread and magic wine. We're talking about them at their meal, day by day, as often as they come together, remembering, this is my body, this is my blood. They are sharing their food with glad and sincere hearts. Maybe it was on the Lord's Day that it was the Lord's Supper, and maybe on the other days it was a common meal together. Maybe. Maybe that develops in time. We'll get to that in a moment. But once again, I don't think we have to choose. We need to realize that part of their devotion is the sharing of this meal where they experience the presence of Jesus. Now, the witness that I'll call to the stand is Luke chapter 24. And in Luke chapter 24, you have a first day of the week, breaking of bread. It starts out as an evening meal with two travelers who say, Jesus, come, and they don't know it's Jesus, but they say, come and eat bread with us. Come and, and Jesus suddenly becomes their host instead of their guest, and they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Now, did that become the Lord's Supper? Seeing that the Lord is there, I don't know how you can avoid thinking that that's not the Lord's Supper. I mean, who's going to go up to Jesus and say, hey, you forgot to serve the wine? Hello, Lord's Supper, He's the Lord. I think it points us to the direction that, wow, there's a bit of overlap here, but we see what's happening in the early church, and we're learning what it means to have life around the table. You know, all of us have different table traditions at home. And when we have new family members, they might be guests or it might be little kids. As we grow up, we learn table manners. We learn what it means to eat at the table. We learn when we're supposed to say the prayer. Or we may just learn, hey, that's your seat, that's your sibling's seat, that's your mom's seat and your dad's seat. We just learn these things. Then you always have that awkward moment when one of the children brings home you know, a significant other and then they sit in daddy's seat. You know, now what do we do? You know, well, we adjust. Or I don't know. Maybe in your family tradition we have a fight. That, that might be, you know, a wrestling match. We all have these family traditions. They are learning what life around the table looks like. And they're learning that if Jesus shared his body and blood with us, how can we hold anything back? 
And when we come to the offering today, I want you to notice that that was in Scripture too. That day by day, they sold what they had, shared it with others, so that nobody had to go without. So that if there was a need, that need was met. And the result of them learning these table manners, you see again in the Scripture, two things. They're praising God. That's the vertical dynamic of this. (laughs) And they are having the favor. They're enjoying the favor of all people. People see a genuine quality there. That's the horizontal dynamic of this. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's being played out. That's being acted out and lived out around the table of the Lord. The teaching of the Word the gathering at the table. And by the way, if you want to put baptism in here, it's right there at the end. The Lord added daily the ones being saved. There's baptism. It shows up and makes a cameo appearance right here. The Word and the table. And then you also have baptism where people are being added into this Word, table kind of living. Baptism is the door or the initiation into that life of Jesus and that life of the church. Once the gospel makes it out to Gentile territory, we have places like Troas. And you've got Paul and his companions, one of them being Luke, who writes the gospel and this book of Acts. And Luke is present here on this day when they go to Troas, and he gives us an account of what was going on outside of Jerusalem years later where they're still keeping this devotion to the apostles' teaching, and the table of the Lord. Notice that just like Luke chapter 24, this takes place on the first day of the week, a day that they will come to know in history as the Lord's day, the day He was risen. On the first day of the week, we met to break bread together. Now, let's stop right there, because instantly, now is that a just a fellowship meal is that just supper or is that the lord's supper why do we have to pick the answer is yes but but watch what happens there because there definitely is life around the table paul spoke to the people until midnight because he was leaving the next morning don't ever complain about how long my sermons are i will quote acts 20 verse 7 to you Anytime a preacher does preach until midnight, he's going to be leaving the next morning, I guarantee you. Anyway, Paul spoke to the people until midnight because he was leaving on the next morning. But seriously, he's traveling through there, and he's wanting to meet these disciples, and he's wanting to encourage them. And he's on this journey, and he he has just a few moments to check in with them, and, and it's very precious. So he's wanting to teach them, and he's probably answering their questions, and he's helping them because they are new at this. In the upstairs room where we were meeting, there were a lot of lamps. So they they were dedicated to doing this too. They were dedicated to be learners of the Word and the preaching. And a young man by the name of Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill. It's his first mistake. He might not be very much room in there. But while Paul was speaking, the young man got very sleepy. That's his second mistake. Finally, he went to sleep and fell Three floors all the way down to the ground. They think that's his last mistake, but watch. When they picked him up, he was dead. Paul went down, bent over Eutychus, took him in his arms and said, Don't worry, he's alive. 
This definitely underlines the idea of life around the table. After Paul had gone back upstairs, he broke bread and ate with us. He then spoke until dawn and left. Then the followers took the young man home alive and were very happy. It never says that Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. It just says that Paul recognizes that Eutychus is alive. The only power that could raise Eutychus from the dead is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. There's only one power. It's what Paul will talk about in his letters when he says, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. It's that same Spirit. This is the same Spirit that showed this grace upon Eutychus, that he was alive. There's life around the table. And in many ways, you and I are given life when we come around the Lord's supper table and we get to go home alive, happy. But we meet the Lord there, just like the Emmaus travelers did on the Lord's day. Notice the similarities between the Emmaus text in Luke 24 and the Troas text in Acts 20. Uh, If you're at home, you can take a picture of the screen. If you're here, go ahead and get a snapshot of that. I love how y'all do that. That's great, by the way. Or you can always go back to the YouTube later and freeze frame this. But there's some similarities here. It's the first day of the week. That's the way it was with the Emmaus travelers. That's the way it was in Troas. There was a gathering of believers. That's the way it was in Emmaus, even if it was two and the hidden Lord. There was also a gathering of believers on the first day of the week later when the Emmaus travelers show up, verse 33, and they tell them, the Lord is risen, He's alive. In Troas, all the believers have gathered together. There's that coming together that makes the Lord's Supper what it is. We're learning that being together is as important to the Lord's Supper as anything. There's the breaking of the bread. That happens in Luke 24. That's when he's recognized. There's the breaking of the bread in Troas. They've come together to break bread. They break bread now that, and you notice that happens after Eutychus is living again. I mean, what do you do? It's like, this guy was dead. You know, what do you do then? Let's go eat. Let's go eat. Let's eat the Lord's Supper. Tell me, that's not the Lord's Supper if you've got a, you know, revived individual who was dead you have you know at this point in eternity Eutychus and Lazarus are going to have some great conversations you know one of them's going to be feeling lonely in eternity you know like nobody else knows what it was like to be dead and then alive except Jesus Jesus is going to say have you met Eutychus oh yeah yeah and then there's this kid I got to tell you about who anyway he's a widow's son we'll get to that later but they break the bread And then they're teaching the Word. That's in both. And then there's a rising from the dead. Luke is connecting these two events to give us something. If if Scripture, if the Holy Spirit wanted Luke and the other Gospel writers to say, look, here's the ritual and the routine for the Lord's Supper. Do it like this. Don't deviate. And that's it. Then we would have that. But even when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, I've got to remind you of the story that makes sense of this. And now here's Luke, guided by the Holy Spirit, guiding by the things. He was at Troas. 
And you know, being at Troas, he probably connected this to the Emmaus story. And he said, what we experienced at Troas was just like the story at Emmaus on that first day of the week, that Lord's Day. So the Lord's Day becomes a day that we devote ourselves to. There is something special about it. Culture around us is going to put Sunday at the end of your week. It's almost impossible now to buy a calendar where Sunday is not the last day of the week. The end of the weekend. That's what we've done to it. We've kicked it back off into the basement. But it was always the first day of the week. It's always how we begin our week. It's a new kind of Sabbath. And on the Lord's Day, we experience life around the table. Like I said, the management and the frequency of the ritual, that's not the focus here. If, if, if that was to be the focus, we would have a specific outline that would be so clear, we wouldn't even be discussing this and having maybes and what ifs. We would be, we would be just doing that. But the problem, let me tell you why the Lord doesn't give us that stuff. Because whenever he gives us that stuff, we turn it into empty rituals and we forget the power and the spirit behind it. God knows better than that. Gives the Israelites a bronze serpent and says, hey, would you look on it? You'll be protected from those poisonous snakes that are killing you. What are they doing you know, decades later? Worshiping the thing like an idol. All right, well, get rid of it because it's not the bronze serpent. It's the Lord and his spirit that is behind it. The bread and the blood and the Lord's day has meaning because of the Lord who is behind it and within it and around it and present at it. That's where our focus is meant to be drawn. So when we come together, we have that same purpose devotion to the teaching and to fellowship. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, we're fellowshipping with one another and we're fellowshipping with Christ the risen Christ, the living one. We do that on the Lord's day, and then in some respect, we do that day by day. You know, I don't know. It may be that in Jerusalem, they did that day by day because they were at the temple, and then maybe they had to adjust when they went out into the, the, the Gentile world, and there were no temples around, and maybe it became a weekly gathering. Maybe in some places it wasn't limited to that. But the meaning is always the same. Body, the blood of the Lord, the body of Christ together sharing in this fellowship shaped by, led by, directed by the apostles' teaching. We share life with the Lord and we share our life together with one another. And it is here in one another's company that we can recognize the company and the presence of the living Jesus in His Word at His table and you and I are made alive in His presence. You see, we're born with a certain amount of life, right? You've heard people say, well, the moment you're born, you begin dying. That's partially true. Our physical bodies decay. Our human bodies decay. But the intent of our Creator was always for us to have eternal life. And when you and I learn to be obedient to His Word, and when we participate in and we devote ourselves to gathering at His table and sharing in the community of believers, then just like Eutychus, we're revived from a lot of different deaths. 
the death of depression, the death of AIDS, the death of a loss of meaning, the death of sadness, the death of whatever it is, loneliness, that keeps us from not really living life as anything other than 98.6 and breathing. But it reminds us that we have an eternal life and we're just now entering the first few days of that eternal life even now. And we are made more and more alive as we go. That certainly starts when we're baptized into Christ. That old way of living that does end up in death, that, that gets put away. But this new way of living that will go beyond our physical existence and will go into an eternal glorified resurrection, a new kind of physical existence where Jesus is the first, He's the prototype, He's the leader and the pioneer of that. We're experiencing that. So, that's why we come to His table. Welcome to life around the table. Welcome to the table of the Lord.